going to be starting a new series of messages this morning, and most appropriate in the song that our brother had just sung, that on Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand, and we're going to be dealing with the topic of baptism, and if there's ever an important distinction to be made is between salvation and baptism. Baptism is not a savior. And anyone who's trusting in that is trusting and sinking sand. It's Christ and Christ alone. Would you take your bulletins and stand with me and let's read our text today. There are several that we have in your bulletin. This will be the first in a series of messages entitled, The Symbolism of Baptism. And the message today is titled, An Introduction to Symbolism. The text that we'll be reading in your bulletin is taken from the King James Version. And then I will be preaching out of the New King James Version. I will not take time to explain that. That's just my preference today, all right? Would you read with me, beginning in first in Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5. Ready? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Colossians 2 and verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Acts 22:16. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And then 1 Peter 3:21. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. of this series is to show whether baptism is a symbol of a deeper reality, namely salvation, or whether it is the actual reality itself, namely sacramental grace. And the aim of this first message is to examine the meaning, 
the nature and the function of symbolism as a means in which the invisible creator uses to communicate with his visible creatures. In this world of ours, the spirit and matter are joined together in a mysterious union. The invisible is intertwined with the visible. The unseen concepts and images of the mind are connected with the physical actions of the body. When I see an animal, I can view that, but I cannot see a concept or an idea that's invisible. In order to enable us to communicate with each other and with God himself, God has given us words, signs, such as sign language, and symbols. And these are all means of expressing truth in order to be understood. Symbolism is the practice of communicating through symbols. Now let's define symbolism. It's a very imperative at the very outset, that we understand the definition and nature of symbols and symbolism. So what, then, is a symbol? A symbol is something that points to and represents something beyond the symbol itself. I'm going to repeat that. A symbol is something that points to and represents something beyond the symbol itself. In so doing, it establishes a relationship between itself and the thing in which it is representing. It is a visible manifestation of an invisible reality. For example, when we say, he has the courage of a lion. Courage is an invisible concept or idea. The lion is a visible object denoting strength and courage. And thus we ascribe the invisible concepts of strength and courage to the person through the use of a visible image. The symbol always points to a reality beyond itself. I'm going to repeat that. The symbol always points to a reality beyond itself. The lion is not the reality. The lion is pointing to the man's courage. It's imperative that we grasp that at the very outset of the message. 
The lion is the symbol. The reality is residing in the man's courage. It's like a man's shadow conveying his body's substance. The shadow represents an image of the person, but is not the person itself. Nevertheless, the shadow bears a resemblance to the substance. Now, in order for a symbol to be effective, a person must be able to understand and participate in the reality which that symbol represents. For example, if I'm traveling on an ocean liner and we pass a ship flying the flag of a foreign country, for me, the flag is only a sign or an emblem of that country. But suppose that I have been held captive as a prisoner of war in a foreign land for two years. Suddenly I'm rescued and I see the flag of the United States of America of which I am a citizen. My heart begins to pound inside of me for what that flag represents to me. The flag is no longer a mere emblem or a sign. It's a symbol of all of that which gives me freedom and security. My whole being is moved with the reality which the flag represents or is a symbol of. And thus the flag represents the values which my country means to me. So then we can say that symbols are material or physical objects made to convey spiritual or mental conceptions to the minds of the souls of men. Now I've got a wealth of information ahead of us. You're welcome to try to take notes or you can just ask me for my notes later. I don't want you to get distracted in trying to get everything written down. It will be impossible, all right? I want you to stay with me throughout this as much as possible. We've defined symbolism. Let's move now to our second heading, three fundamental principles of symbolism. What's involved to make up a symbol? Number one, the names of symbols are to be understood in a literal or material or physical manner. For an example, we could go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, and there we're introduced to four great beasts, which are symbols of literal animals, which we all can relate to. The symbol is literal. The second fundamental principle of symbolism. The symbols always describe something essentially different from themselves. For example, the four great beasts are said to represent four kings which should arise out of the earth. Verse 17. 
So the beasts are symbols of either kings or kingdoms. The third fundamental principle, which is essential to make up a symbol, some resemblance must exist between the symbol and the thing symbolized. For example, both the beast and the kings have power over others. If you wanted to represent a king having power over other in a symbol, you would not use the lamb. The lamb is meek, has is submissive. But the lion or the beast has power. A king has power. Thus, the third ingredient in a symbol, there must be a representation or a similarity between the literal symbol and the thing which it is representing. Let's consider our third heading. God's use of symbolism to express himself. Symbolism is as old as humanity. Anthropologists, regardless of their attitude toward religion, agree that man has made use of symbols before the formation of the great civilizations along with their alphabets. The biblical evidence for the antiquity of symbolism is also clear. Before the fall... God gave man his first symbols, namely the sun and the moon. Genesis chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me, verses 14 through 16. Genesis 1 and verses 14 through 16. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens, and divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth, and it was so. And then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Verse 17, God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. Here we have God speaking to man through the symbols of the sun and the moon. Compare those texts with Psalm 104. 104th Psalm. Reading verses 1 through 9 first. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty, honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot. You see all these symbols coming out for you, describing God. 
who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirit, his ministers a flame of fire, you who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hasted away. They went up over the mountains, they went down into the valleys, to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. Now down in verse 19. He appointeth the moon for what? For seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness, and it is night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food, and when the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens, and man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. The first symbol or sign in which that God gave to Adam and Eve. He also gave mankind the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with its forbidden fruit. Let's go back to Genesis again, chapter 2. Genesis 2. And verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now these are literal trees, but they represent something. They represent man's responsibility to his sovereign creator. When Adam and Eve saw these trees and God explained the significance of them, then they represented as a symbol, although they were literal trees, that man is a creature made by God who is responsible to obey his creator. The significance of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After the fall, God put a flaming sword to guard the tree of life. Chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. We're not going to take time to go there. And that symbolized that man had forfeited his fellowship with God through sin, as set forth in the Adamic covenant or arrangement. When Adam saw that, he knew that that past paradise was over that he had forfeited his standing before God. You recall after the flood, God gave man the rainbow, symbolizing the Noetic covenant, not to destroy the earth again with water. Genesis 9, 12-17. Man's golden age was in his Edenic paradise. And there God used symbol as one means of communicating with his human creatures. 
Moving to our fourth heading, varieties of biblical symbols. The varieties of biblical symbols are numerous. Nevertheless, we can classify them under three major headings. They are, first of all, miraculous symbols. Examples, the flaming sword, the east of Eden, which we've just referred to, the burning bush at Horeb, in which that Moses saw, Exodus 3 and verse 2, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, which went before the Israelites, Exodus 13:21, all symbolize the miraculous workings of God's providence. Second major heading of symbols in the Bible, we can classify under material symbols. Examples, the blood offered in the animal sacrifices. The tabernacle and the temple with their apartments and furniture. The bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. These are material symbols. A third major category of symbols in the Bible what we call visionary symbols. Examples, the dreams and visions of the prophets, both the minor and the major prophets. Examples are found throughout Ezekiel and Daniel. And John alludes to the use of symbols in the book of Revelation. So we have then miraculous symbols, material symbols, and visionary symbols that are given to us in the Bible. Under these three major headings, various classes can be listed, in which the magnitude is seen in how the Bible makes use of symbols. We are prone to think that God only communicates through words and arguments, direct statements, but not so. The Bible is filled with symbolism. It's God's mean of communicating with us. He, the invisible, communicating with us in the realm of the visible. Here are some of the various classes of symbols found in the Bible. There are symbols taken from nature that are used, such as the sun, the moon, the stars, fire. Lightning, thunder, rain, snow, sea, mountains, sands, desert, rivers, springs, and valleys. All of these God uses to speak, to convey and reveal Himself and His creation to us as His creatures. There are symbols of non-human creatures, such as the lion, the wolf, the lamb, the goat, the ox, the eagle, the dove, the vulture, the serpent, the locust, the bee, the scorpion, and the spider. God uses those as symbols. There are symbols of inanimate life which God uses in the Bible, such as trees, grass, flowers, and grain. There are symbols of things made by man, such as the yoke, the crown, the lamp, the girdle, the shoes, the helmet, the sword, the shield, the bread, and the wine. There are even symbols of colors, 
which God uses in the Bible, such as red, blue, purple, and white. There are symbols of metals, such as gold, silver, iron, and brass. There are symbols of jewels and precious stones, such as the ruby, the emerald, the sapphire, the amethyst, and pearl. There are even symbolic persons used in the Bible, Adam for one, Cain and Abel, Abraham, Moses, Jonah, Ezekiel, and Solomon. There are symbolic names which God uses in the Bible, such as Jehovah, which means I am what I am. Exodus 3.14, Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. Joshua, Jehovah is salvation. Abram, exalted father. Abraham, father of a multitude. And on and on and on. Names that are symbols of a deeper reality. There are symbolic parts of the human body that are used, such as the eye, the hand, the heart, the kidneys, and the bowels. The blood was a special class by itself. I wish I had time and I could develop a whole message on this, because there's been much misunderstanding in this. Listen carefully. Just try to abbreviate. In Hebrew thinking, the blood was the principal component of the body. Because life itself was thought of as residing in the blood. Leviticus 17.11, we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. But that is only a symbol. When you make it a reality, it starts getting into problems. And maybe it will help. Some of you younger ones, when you sing the song that we sang this morning, Are You Washed in the Blood, to not get so literally confused in that. The blood represents life forfeited in death. It's not a reality itself. We don't have to have the literal blood of Jesus to come in contact with us. Okay, as I say, we could develop a whole message on that, and I think clear up a lot of misunderstanding in that realm. The great concentration of the Old Testament references to the blood is in Leviticus, the book of sacrifices. Blood symbolizes life given up in death. And in the Old Testament... It has a cleansing and atoning meaning as it points forward to Christ's sacrifice. So in the New Testament, blood is a major symbol of the atoning death of Christ and its benefits. In instituting the Lord's Supper, the Lord used the wine to point to the blood signifying his life given in a vicarious and substitutionary sacrifice. Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. The blood is mentioned frequently elsewhere in the New Testament. 
Romans 5 and verse 9, justified by his blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible or perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Uh, There floats around on the fringe of Christianity those who make such a literal approach to the Bible that they teach the bizarre teaching that after Jesus' resurrection, he went back up on Mount Calvary and collected all of his blood and put that in a basin and carried that into heaven and put it on the mercy seat, and there's where the atonement was made. They say that every drop of Jesus' blood had to be preserved. Now, what are they doing? They're making a reality of the blood rather than what the blood represents. That is the giving up of life in death. The Roman church takes Jesus' statement, this is my body, and makes the body of Christ transubstantiate in the communion of the bread and the wine. The literalness of that. Blood is a symbol of life poured out in death. I can cut my hand and I don't die. Jesus could have cut his hand and had no atonement whatsoever. He had to pour out his life in death. And that's what it means with the shedding of blood. It must demand a total death or capital sentence. Now let's consider under our fifth heading different realms in which God has used symbols. God has chosen to make use of symbols in several different realms. I'll list them in their ascending ranks of importance, beginning with nature, or what the theologians call natural revelation. The universe is one grand school, educating and teaching man through countless symbols, patterns, and analogies of the truth of the invisible God and the invisible realm of eternity. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. Listen as I read it. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. Hmm? Just the sight of them conveys, Brother Asa, a deeper reality. The heavens communicate to us the glory of God. Let me read on. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line or their sound 
has, that's, I insert the word sound in the text here in the King James because Paul in Romans 10, I believe it's 8 or verse 18, quotes this verse and he uses the word sound there. I think that's a better understanding rather than a measuring line. Let's read in that light. Their sound has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hid from its heat. Isn't that marvelous? There's a preacher preaching day and night, revealing the glory of God through the symbol of the issue of heaven and earth. Hmm? The things on earth are but patterns or symbols of the things in the heavens. Listen, earth is but a shadow of heaven. We think this is the reality here. This is representing something in the unseen world. The two resemble each other, but the greater reality resides in heaven, the realm of the invisible. On all of God's works are written God's truth, speaking in type and symbol of His divine wisdom and power, of our responsibilities to acknowledge and serve Him. Nature, from the smallest atom to the largest galaxy, is but one magnificent parable or symbol of God for man, illustrating to man its manifold laws, forces, and actions. Nature is but a minister preaching in a universal language through repetitions of birth and death, growth and decay, sleeping and waking, sowing and reaping, light and darkness, mountains and oceans, numbers and spaces. All of nature's phenomena is designed to educate man into God's glory and to set forth the need for man to prepare for a sinless life in eternity. Hmm? God has a preacher all day long. And He uses the elements of His created order as symbols to reveal His glory and our duty that we are responsible to Him. Hmm? The songwriter who penned the words, This is my Father's world. I'm sure all of you know it. How many of you know it? Everybody know that? Captures the words of David in Psalm 24.1, where David said, The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. And here's what the songwriter penned. This is my Father's world. (laughs) And to my listening ears, 
All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear Him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. You don't have to have some audible voice in a psychological tantrum to have God speak. God is speaking to us everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems all so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Huh? Nature in its symbolism speaks to the greater reality of the invisible God. There is a creation. There must be a creator. Let's move. Ascending upward from natural revelation into the realm of special revelation. Found first in the Old Testament Scriptures. The Old Testament economy is packed with types and symbols. We find symbolic Localities are used in the Bible, such as Eden, representing a paradise, Egypt, Sinai, Jerusalem. Symbolic personage, such as Adam, Cain, Abel, Melchizedek, Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Moses, Joshua, David, Zerubbabel. Symbolic events are found in the Bible, such as the flood, the call of Abraham, the offering of Isaac, the wrestling of the angel with Jacob, the bondage in Egypt, the Passover with the destroying angel, the exodus, the wilderness wanderings, the passage of the Jordan, the settlement in Canaan, the Babylonian captivity, the restoration to the land, Jacob's ladder, the burning bush, the pillar of cloud and fire, the manna, the smitten rock, the brazen serpent, the tabernacle, the outer court, the labor, the altar of incense, the candlestick, the veil, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat, and the cherubim, and on and on and on. We find symbolic events that are used in the Bible. We find also symbolic rituals, such as circumcision, the cleansing by water, the Day of Atonement, the sacrifices, the sprinkling of blood, the laying on of hands, the scapegoat, and on and on and on we could go. In fact, the entire Old Testament economy is but one grand scheme of symbols pointing forward, Brother Jim, to a future reality to be realized in a messianic age and the eternal state which will follow that age. Hmm? Just one grand symbol 
all saying, something is future that's coming of which this is now representing. Now, you don't believe that? Well, let me show you in the Bible. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 9. Hebrews 9 and verse 9. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. Is the Old Testament a symbol of a greater reality which was to come? Let's let Paul tell us. Hebrews 9.9. Now I'm reading from the New King James here. What's he say? It was, if you have the New King James, symbolic. The King James says figure. Two different synonyms. It was, that is referring to the Old Testament priesthood, the temple, and all the things that were there. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, external, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot, cleanse your what? Your conscience, that which you cannot see or others can see from dead works, to serve the living God. I rest my case there with an inspired apostle. The entire Old Testament economy was a greater revelation than that which God used to speak to man in nature. But it wasn't the greatest revelation. There's yet something better to come. Let's consider and ascend up to another level. The special revelation which is found in the New Testament. The four Gospels give us a record of the teaching style of Jesus. If ever any man taught with authority, it was Jesus Christ. He could confound the scribes and the Pharisees with the depth of his teaching. But in preparing this sermon... I was impressed as to how commonly and naturally his doctrines or his teachings take on a parabolic or symbolic form. The Apostle Paul uses what is known as argumentation, words of logic to prove a point. 
Jesus used very little of that. And he was the greatest teacher that man ever sat under. What am I getting at? I may love theology and philosophy, but Jesus taught in a better way. And if you miss the way he taught, you haven't sat under the depth of his teaching. Listen, look at the references to himself in the expressions, the I am's. Hmm? I am the what? The bread of life. Hmm? That's that. I am the water of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. If we erase from the Gospels all that Jesus said in the form of parable, figure, or metaphor, we would be amazed of how little we would have left of His direct teachings. The God who communicated with Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden throughout the Old Testament realm sends the greatest revelation of all Himself, and yet Jesus uses primarily the symbolic method of teaching. That's why children could understand what He had to say in the New Testament church, symbolism seems to have centered in the ordinances, or as some refer to them as sacraments, of baptism and the Lord's Supper along with the Lord's Day for worship. The Lord's Day being the first day of the week to recognize Christ's resurrection. All of these, baptism, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Day, serve to identify the believer with Jesus Christ. Now let's ascend to the highest revelation of all. Jesus Christ Himself. Son of God, incarnated in the Son of Man. Jesus is the final and complete revelation of God to man. He is himself the symbol of symbols. He is called the Word of God. Meaning that God's thoughts, His feelings, His character, and His will are expressed to men in Christ who, quote, Colossians 2.15 is the image of the invisible God. Do you get it? Son of God, Son of Man. While He was a true man, He was also true God. One unseparated person in two separated natures. He was the Theanthropos, the God-man. The greatest representation of the invisible God walked the shores of Galilee. The Creator becomes the creature. 
And the creature displays the glory of the invisible creator in the clearest way, far beyond what the Old Testament and natural revelation has to convey to us. So we have now surveyed God's revelation of himself through nature, the Old and New Testament scriptures, and Christ Jesus himself. And in doing so, I have become overwhelmed with how God has so widely chose to use symbols to convey his truth to us. Now, why have I taken a whole message to do such? First time I've ever brought this message in 49 years of preaching. There is something new under the sun. (laughs) This entire message has been to lead up to the next message, in which we shall focus on the nature of baptism. If all of these things that we have referred to are symbolic of a greater reality residing in another dimension, what does baptism represent? Hmm? What is the nature of baptism? Is it a symbol of a deeper reality? Namely, the gospel itself? Or is baptism a power in and of itself? Is salvation found in the reality of baptism? Or does baptism represent a deeper reality, pointing beyond itself to something else? Hmm? Now, if the Lord's Supper has representations, we observe that here in our church once a month. The bread and the wine are symbols of a greater reality. As often as you take it, you do it in what? Remembrance of me. My incarnation in human form, the bread, my shed blood, my giving up of my life, the death, burial, and resurrection is conveyed in the Lord's table. Now, I ask you in closing, would our great Heavenly Father leave out a symbol for baptism? Or would He make baptism a symbol of something else? Hmm? Is baptism a symbol? If it is, what is it symbolizing? If it is not a symbol, what is it?
The Church of Rome confounds that, baptism, with grace. It is known as sacramental grace. That God communicates a power in the ordinance of baptism to regenerate. That's why they baptize the infants. Other churches hold the same thing. The Church of Christ, the Campbellite, make the same mistake with water in that rather than seeing baptism as a symbol of regeneration, they make the water the regenerating act itself and thus teach baptismal regeneration. The reality, it is believed by both of these errors, is that baptism is the reality. It is salvation. If it's not, then it must be left to be put into the category of a symbol. Then just what does that symbol represent? The Lord willing, we shall delve further to the issue in the next message. And as the old things that I experienced in my childhood with the Saturday morning movies, went to the movie theater and they'd have one of these, I forget what they referred to them as, but they always closed with uh, the cowboy getting maybe killed. You had to go back next week to find out if he survived. And the exciting part, they'd cut it off. You're going to have to come back to find out the answer to our question, okay? Now, I hope I, I appreciate you bearing with me in this. I recognize that a lot of this material may be somewhat laborious, but I've wanted to go through this to show you the tremendous scope of how God has used symbolism to bring it over. This act of water baptism must symbolize something. What does it symbolize? Let's close in prayer. Father, take your word today and apply it to our hearts. Thank you for the freedom and the liberty that you have given to us to study your word. Thank you for giving us a word, a logos, a means that you've communicated to us. That you communicate to us through words spoken and written, through signs and through symbols. But all of these are designed to give a sufficient revelation to all mankind of who you are and of the need that we have of having our sins forgiven. Bless us today in heavenly places in Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.